This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Rob Guillory. Josh Flanagan with iFanboys Talksplode. Today we are talking to Rob Guillory. 
uh, known to most of you as the artist on Chew, and now he's got a new book coming out uh, in the near future called Farmhand, and I was really glad to catch up with Rob and chat about his career and his work, his old work, his new work, and all that stuff. I am here on our Talksplode episode today with Mr. Rob Guillory. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> Who uh, we've pulled in from the wilderness, as far as I know. Oh, yes. I have actually literally been in the wilderness for like a year and a half since we finished Chew. <laughs> I, I've, been in the, I've been wearing a robe walking around my house. Mm-hmm. For like a year. How how magnificent is your beard? Mm, it's pretty great. It's mostly <laughs> it's it's mostly great at this point, actually. Yeah. Which I don't I don't know how that happened. Three kids. I know exactly how <laughs> that happened. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> I bit that joke. I'm sorry. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's get the the big thing out of the way. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, let's let's talk about that new series, and then we'll go backwards from there. Um, okay. Chew, you know, is the thing that most people know you from. I don't think that that's that's a surprise to you, uh, and it is a very unique thing. I, I I can't. Chew is one of those things where you can't say it's like this book or it's like it doesn't look like any book. It doesn't feel like any book. Um, and it was and it was, it was a really big hit. So I'm guessing that coming off of something like that, it left you in sort of a, a, a you know good position, but a strange position. Like, how did you decide where to go from there? Man, I actually. Um... You know, we wrapped Shoe in 2016, and we had always mapped out that it would be 60 issues. Um, but at some point in January of 2016, uh, we, we, I knew we were going to wrap in around November of that year. But in January, uh, it, it occurred to me that, holy crap, this is ending this year. Um, and I literally had a freak out moment <laughs> where I realized, oh, man, this eight-year gig, which eight-year gigs in comics don't happen. Um, and this was actually, she was my first major gig in comics. Like everything before was just like an anthology here, a short story here, but she, I literally jumped in. She number one was my first, uh, like full comic where I carried the, the entire art duties for the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I literally went from zero to a hundred overnight. Uh, so, you know, as that was winding down January, 20, 2016, it occurred to me, holy crap, this the gravy train ends this year. So like I need to come up with something immediately because, uh, you know, we had had like, like you mentioned, we had three kids over the course of this eight year gig. So like my life has com- had completely shifted in over the course of eight years of work on this book. So I, I really started freaking out and started bringing out all of these uh, these idea lists I had made over the years. Uh, and what a lot of people don't know is that before Chew, everything I had done before Chew was pretty much I, I was writing it myself, do, doing writing and drawing on the thing, just because I had no I had no collaborators really to work mm-hmm. with. So um, you know, w- while Chew was such an intense gig, I had pretty much shelved the writing, um, but I had tons of ideas kind of laying around. So I took them all out, started thinking, okay, what's next? I know I want to write my next thing. Um, but I started looking through these idea lists and realizing I hated everything I had written. Um, so immediately I just kind of put it away and this new thing just kind of emerged. Um, and that's kind of what I've been, I've been working on uh, for the last, well, oddly enough, two years now. Um, I started working on it that January, that January before shoe ever ended, I started kind of sculpting, uh, and gestating on the idea. Uh, but now by now, by this point, I mean, I've written the first six issues, the first four issues, well, the first three issues are, are completely done, and uh, I'm, I'm finishing pencils on that, on issue four next week. So yeah, we're, we're moving along pretty good. Now, we, ha- we haven't talked about what it is or what it's called yet, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the farm hand. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where, 
I want to get. I want you to introduce it and tell me about it, and then I have lots of questions about about the process, I suppose. So, how how would you describe it? Okay. Uh, well, farmhand is. Uh, I mean, in terms of just kind of describing the tone of it, it's kind of hard to put in the words because, much like Chew, it is a a mesh of different genres. Like, I love I love humor, obviously, and art wise, I just I just kind of go that way. Uh, so, but but the thing about like I, I, it's still suspenseful as Chew was kind of suspenseful from time to time. But the thing about Chew was, we never really got as more as 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 into horror as I wanted to go. So the farmhand is very horror centric, um, while still maintaining these kind of like uh, humorous overtones. But the general pitch for farmhand centers around uh, this uh, this simple black farmer in the South Louisiana named Jedediah Jenkins, and Jedediah Jenkins is a shitty farmer. Uh, he's not good at it. He's basically from a line of farmers, and uh, his entire world is turned upside down when he has a he's he's outside he's out uh, plowing his fields, and he suddenly has this crazy supernatural vision, and in that supernatural vision, uh, all this incredible uh, incredibly advanced scientific knowledge is downloaded into his brain, and that it is basically a blueprint for what is eventually uh, eventually becomes the the Jedediah seed. And what that seed is, when planted and watered, it grows into human body parts. So overnight, his family farm, his crappy family farm, becomes this huge scientific trailblazer in South Louisiana, of all places. Uh, and he basically becomes a one-stop shop for human body parts, for organ transplants, that kind of thing. And it's the kind of thing where it's, um, it's not only fast growing, but it's fast healing, where you don't have rejection issues. If you lose a finger, you just pop on a new one, and it, it immediately becomes your finger uh, takes on even the, the scars and tattoos that you had on the old limb. So it's actually like, it actually knows what to become. Mm-hmm. But, but, but of course, uh, things tend to, things, things go south, uh, which is kind of where our story begins. All right. And it's, it's, you have a, a finite ending for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, uh, I have enough story for about 24 to 30 issues if sales are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Okay, so it's 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 a good long seat in the chair, you know, time yeah, to see yeah. if you if you if you can get that going. It's interesting because, like you said, Chew is really the first book that that you were on, and and so the look of it to me it looks like Chew because mm-hmm. that's exactly what Chew is. How are you when you're working on it? How are you? Are we trying to get away from sort of the tone because you know Layman wrote Chew, you didn't write that, and and you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Are you conscious of the of the fact that you want to make it different than what you're known for, or is it just sort of how you write and and that'll be what it is? Yeah, I mean that was something I struggled with at the very beginning because, like you said, like you know my art became so synonymous with this with with Chew. Uh, the thing is, I never switched up my art to draw Chew. It was just me. Um, so like you know, this is like my my handwriting. Uh, it's just is it is what it is. Um, that said, I do think. My approach, as I've, as I've gotten into drawing the thing, it's taken on its own character. And I think it's a lot more, I'm not, I'm not doing the coloring on this thing. I'm actually, uh, Taylor Wells, who was my color assistant on Chew, is actually handling complete colors on this. So that actually allows me to have time to focus on the writing and the drawing. So I'm actually spending a bit more time uh, in the pencils and inks than I ever spent on Chew. So it's got, I think it's a bit richer uh, in terms of detail and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Story wise, I think, I think that I definitely learned a lot from Layman. Um, I mean, just sitting under him for eight years 
and you know, before he became a full-time writer, he was an editor at Wildstorm, and he sat under guys. I mean, he edited guys like Grant Morrison, like Warren Ellis, Mark Miller. I mean, he sat under some incredibly talented guys and learned and then developed into a, a hell of a writer himself. I mean, I'm a huge fan. I was a, I was a huge fan of John before we ever started working together. Um, so I, I've kind of absorbed a lot of stuff from him by sitting under him for over the years. But at the same time, uh, there's something about this that is so deeply personal um, that I think it separates it from Chew just because of how how personal it is. It, it's it's hard to describe without like sp- spilling it, <laughs> but it, but it's very different from Chew, while at the same time being silly and and kind of goofy from time to time. Well, yeah, I was curious as I, as I was reading through it because I, I know you'd mentioned that it was it was uh, it was personal. Uh, you don't entirely not look like the main character. It's in South Louisiana. I mm-hmm. mean, is that a thing that you want to talk about or 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 detail, or is that more? Is that going to give something away? Like like, in what way is this framed in something that makes it personal to you? Well, it's not. I, I will say that it's not biographical. I, I understand least, that you do not have a human part farm. <laughs> that you know that you know of. Um, no, it's not biographical. I mean, I think you know going. And I just kind of gravitated toward making the main character look this way. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, like we've discussed before, I'm, I'm a family guy right now. Mm-hmm. And Farmhand is usually a family book. It is about, you know, the main, the main character is uh, Ezekiel Jenkins, who is uh, the farmer Jedediah's son. And he's basically, uh, he's, he's, he's also a comic creator, coincidentally. Uh, but he is, he is a, He's a ruined, a ruined comic creator because he, you know, something happened that we'll discuss later uh, that basically ruined his career. And he's, uh, he's coming off a major bender that basically almost destroyed his marriage and destroyed his family. Um, so there, there's aspects of him that are very much me. But what's been on is the more I've gotten into it, the more I'm finding uh, pieces of myself in other characters that I didn't expect. Um, even characters I don't even like. <laughs> I'm seeing like, holy crap, I think I'm this guy. Like, how did that happen? Um, but yeah, go ahead. They're all you, Rob. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, they're definitely all me. They're clearly all me, but there's one character in particular uh, that I did not expect mm-hmm. to be all me, but he is absolutely me. Uh, so was there any ever, was the plan always that you were, you were going to do basically a, a complete creator-owned series that you wrote and drew? Or was there a thought that maybe you would go do something else, create your own work, or, or not, or um, work for hire, or something like that? Uh, I mean, we kind of John and I kind of played around with doing some Marvel and DC stuff, mm-hmm. and just nothing ever materialized that was anything we cared about. I mean, I think with Marvel and DC, you know, we have such a a specific style, um, like we were kind of specialized in what we do. Um, I mean, like you said, Chu is very different than most comics. And I think, you know, much like Chu, very few editors, uh, you know, when John was pitching Chu around, very few editors had a vision for it. And the only guy who had a vision for it was uh, was Eric Stevenson. Uh, everyone else thought it was a horrible idea that would never make it. So I think with, you know, p- when pitching Marvel and DC, we're, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of the same problem, where I think that I don't think they have the vision or the imagination to see what we could do. Um, so, but we also didn't pursue it very much right. because we're both spoiled and we both want to do what we want to do. Um, 
and the idea of like having to answer to, you know, not being able to do what we want to do and having the editor, having to answer to that editorial oversight is not super exciting. Um, is I mean, it's really not exciting, <laughs> exciting at all. I mean, we've done, we've just really enjoyed doing what we do and, and having only each other to bounce it off of. Um, so yeah, we just didn't go through the Marvel DC stuff and basically John knocked around for a year and did a bunch of other creator owned stuff. And I basically kicked back for a year and was developing farmhand while doing a, you know, a cover here, there, a short story here and there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I always kind of wanted, I always knew I would come back to writing my own thing. If only for, for whatever reason, I always felt like I was supposed to. Well, it's, it's put you in a really rare position, I suppose, in that, you, you know, you're known for doing one, one thing. It was completely creator owned. It was, you know, you, you had complete control over it and it was really successful and lasted for a long time. So mm-hmm. I, I like, were you ever concerned that like you didn't have enough experience doing different things or, or, or it was almost like, this is the thing you have experience in. So you might as well go for it because it's worked before. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, that was, that was, like I said, I, I was absolutely in the wilderness that last year of Chew and then last year, uh, where it's like, you know, basically all of the fears that you, that I had initially about like, well, like, you know, I did have a lot of success very early in my career but what if it's like a one like a one hit wonder kind of thing? <laughs> like like I'm only 35. Like no one wants to peak like, like that early in their lives. Um, so I had a lot of those initial fears, but at some point I had to I really had to put all of that aside and just decide, just really say, okay, what story do I really really care about? And this is the only story of everything everything else I had before me that I really genuinely cared about. Um, and it was one of those things where you know in the past. Uh, you know, anytime an idea would land in my lap, I would immediately run to the internet and see, you know, what out there was like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would kill the idea every single time. I've done that. Ex- I have that exact horrible habit. Yeah. Well, with Farmhand, I got it and immediately uh, there was a joy that came over me when I got this when I got this concept that I, I made a pact with myself that I would not go looking to see if there's anything like it. So there's a chance, there is a chance that there is something out there that is exactly like this. But I have no idea because I didn't go looking for it. I literally just wrote from my heart and from what I was really feeling uh, pulled to 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 write. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's 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 unique. So let's uh, let's go back then to the beginning. Let's so when uh, when you were growing up, were you were you a comics kid? Like, was, yeah, that, yeah. was this a thing that you've always wanted to do? Yeah, man. I mean, I actually, I had two uncles that were gigantic comic fans. I mean, they were kind of like the prototypical, uh, you know, comic book geeks. I mean, they had these huge suitcases full of comics in their closet. And I mean, I would just sift through them. And uh, I mean, I was, I've always been a visual guy. So like, you know, my mom has apparently has, you know, illustrations that I did at age two. Like, I've never seen them, but apparently I've, I was making sequential art from a super, super early age. But, uh, yeah, comics were always my thing from, from day one. And what kind of stuff did you want to do? Were you, were you reading, like, superhero comics? Or is this what it put you – you're a little younger than me, so first image boom sort of would have been when you were coming around, I guess, to sort yeah. of, like, noticing that stuff and being the audience for it. Is that what you wanted to do? Absolutely. I mean, everything I grew up with was superhero was superhero stuff. I mean, like all the stuff my uncles had were like, 
you know, George Perez, Teen Titans and uh, Tread Star and a bunch of other like amazing stuff. So I grew up with all that stuff. And then when Image came out, Image came out, Image debuted right around the time that I was uh, just starting to buy comics for myself. I was like age nine at the time. I was actually just thinking about this yesterday because I just saw, you know, I'm going to be in a panel uh, with Todd McFarlane coming up soon. So I had this really crazy moment of, holy crap, like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, I still remember going to, to my local comic shop and picking up, you know, comic shop, uh, comic shop news. And they, you know, on the covers like Spawn and there's like a five page preview for Spawn number one. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> um, so like that just changed everything for me. But what's funny is the very first image comic I ever bought was was not Spawn or Youngblood or any of those books. It was um, God, what what it was a Brigade. Brigade was <laughs> Brigade was my first image comic, um, and I was all about it. Totally. Is that, is that a Youngblood spinoff? Because I don't know that stuff particularly it, well. A, it like essentially it essentially is. It, it's it's mm-hmm. Rob Liefeld. Uh, it was like the less successful Youngblood. Um, <laughs> It was way more generic, and oh, it was it was it was classic uh, Liefeld. But I still have it. I still have it like polybagged and sure. boarded somewhere. But, so, did you always have, uh, I guess, a cartoony style, for lack of a better word? I man, I actually tried because I didn't discover like indie comics until much later. So, I mean, even the the image stuff was still superheroes. Um, so, like, I I. You know, this is pre-internet, so I still thought, you know, if you draw, this is what comics are. Comics are guys in spandex with abs showing somehow through the clothes. Like this is what this is what comics is. So I figured, you know, if I want to if I want to do this professionally, which I, at the time, honestly, I didn't even know that it was a real job. Mm-hmm. Like it never occurred to me that holy crap, this is a thing I could conceivably do someday. It was just something I did in my free time. Um, but yeah, like I didn't discover the indie stuff until college actually because i i had been drawing it i'd been drawing superhero stuff for years but i always sucked at it like i was just never any good at it um and then at some point just literally just screwing around with something i I did a cartoony style and a friend of mine at the time was just like hey you know this is uh this this is good stuff (laughs) like this may be your thing and what's funny is i just kind of laughed it off and said well you know this like I was just screwing around you know I did I didn't put all kind of crazy time drawing abs and drawing veins and all this stuff it was just a really simple style that I was really just focusing on storytelling and the fundamentals and from there I kind of grew the style um and I mean this has been you know I mean that was back in 2001 so yeah this has been a a pretty long journey it's funny because for me when when I think of like the moment that I went, oh, comics can look different, and I and I didn't really try to be an artist, but I was aware of it uh, in that. I remember seeing McFarlane Spider Man mm. originally, and I thought, oh, it doesn't have to look like John Byrne. Yeah, and and that to me was extraordinarily freeing, and and like I always have gravitated more towards that, even in a superhero context. Mm-hmm. And so I always think like that is a thing that must have spurred people to be like, oh, I can draw differently. You know, I th- I think. I think Scotty was definitely affected by that in sort of the same way. It's one of those guys. Yeah. You sort of look like you're in that same vein too, stylistically. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the guy that really blew it up for me was uh, Jim Mafood. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, back when I was really, like, I, I, I in 2001, I yeah, in 2001, I really, like, I literally said to myself, okay, I'm going to unlearn everything I've learned. So I stopped 
I dropped tons of detail. And I actually had this stuff on my uh, my website, uh, just some really old stuff where I was drawing. It wasn't like stick figures, but it was way more like Hanna-Barbera versus like, you know, Marvel. And uh, I was just focusing on form and simplicity and storytelling. And I built it up from there. And Mafood's stuff was the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, so, and from the food, I got turned on to guys like, uh, Dave Crosland, who actually, uh, Crosland did a book with John, with Lehman, uh, called Puffed, uh, that was also an image around that time. And, uh, that actually, I, I started following Lehman from that time on. So whenever he actually emailed me for, for Chew, I, I knew exactly who he was, which surprised the hell out of him. <laughs> Cause like, I was like the one guy who bought Puffed, um, <laughs> So yeah, but yeah, guys like like Jim Mafood were were pretty huge for me. So, like, at what point did you decide you were going to get serious? Because if you were thinking about things like storytelling, and I mean, what did you go to college for? I went to college. I actually got into college for uh, computer animation, mm-hmm. and not because I like computers, because you know I was going to the University of Louisiana in Lafayette, and they, I mean, there weren't a lot of options for working for there. There weren't a lot of working artists around. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone. Uh, you know, the guy that, that is kind of like the pinnacle of Louisiana art success is a guy named George Rodrigue, um, which no offense to Mr. Rodrigue, but like, he's basically known for, uh, for the blue dog. I don't know if you've ever seen this. No. Okay. It's basically just a blue dog that is on assorted things. (laughs) And like, that's it. Like he's a huge like phenomenon. Uh, so like he was kind of the pinnacle of what it looked like to be successful as a working artist. And no one else had had done it. So, like, I had no picture of, like, you know, what this even looked like. Um, But whenever I got into college, that was when I I, I started going to conventions. And, uh, you know, we we didn't have any in Louisiana at the time. We would drive to Texas. We drove to L.A. a couple times for uh, for shows. Um, And then from there, I kind of, like, built up the network. Were you you putting your artistic career, like, in the context of what it would have to be like if you were from Louisiana? Oh man, I, I, well, I mean, thankfully the internet was really, was, was in at this time. I mean, this is like 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it started clicking, holy crap, you know, cause I was meeting people on message boards. I, I'd hang around, I'd post on like five different message boards every week. So I was actually really like religious and I had a ritual going every week. Like I was, I was working for the school paper and I was the head cartoonist for like five years. And so I was meeting deadlines. I did two weekly strips. And every week I would post those strips on like five different message boards. Like the Dark Horse board was one of them. Uh, I think Pencil Jack was another one. They were just all over the place. Um, and as I was doing that, I was I was networking with tons of different artists and writers. And then I was doing the shows and it occurred to me that, okay, none of these people I'm networking with are in Louisiana. So I don't even think it matters where I live. Mm-hmm. Like this is, it's just, it was game changing. And uh, it's actually been really, really good. I mean, I think Louisiana is is probably one of the better places to start out as a, as a starving artist because, you know, cost of living is so dirt cheap here and the food is really, really, really good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it actually ended up being a, a good thing for me. It's funny because uh, I think, uh, I mean, Louisiana plays a big part in the new book. Um you didn't really ever have you didn't really ever have a, like I want to get out of here thing going on. It seems like oh, you really yeah. like it. No, I absolutely want to get out of here. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I I was my entire college career. I was like, there's no way I'm staying here. There's nothing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I like fell in love and got married. 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> I think we're staying. Uh, you know, she, she, she had like family land and, uh, you know, surrounded by crawfish fields and soy fields and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, this is like really, really nice. And, uh, then, you know, we started traveling and, uh, seeing the world whenever Chu hit. And, uh, you know, the more I got out, I would come home and realize I really liked it here. And it surprised the hell out of me. And, uh, and then we started having kids and yeah, we're just planted here. I mean, I can't, I mean, my family's here. Everyone's here. And uh, no, I, I at some point, I really started having an appreciation for this place. How did you, uh, how are you weaving that into, into Farmhand? Um, this is, Farmhand takes place in a town called Freetown, which is actually, it's a real place in Louisiana. But it's, uh, Farmhand is essentially, the Farmhound Freetown, Farmhand Freetown is a, an extrapolation of the real Freetown. The real Freetown is this little place in Lafayette, Louisiana, where basically, um, basically pre-Civil War and after Civil War, after emancipation, basically uh, these abolitionists got together with former uh, former plantation owners. They bought this land and they basically created a community of a of, of a super diverse community where uh, freed men of color combined with the abolitionists basically uh, brought in all of these newly freed slaves and they basically acclimated them for their future life. Uh, it's a real place mm-hmm. uh, that that's actually it, my old studio where I was drawing shoe was actually in Freetown. So it's a real place. Uh, it's a really like special, uh, very diverse, funky place in Louisiana and uh, in Freetown uh, in, in farmhand Freetown is that place. Um, so it's very racially diverse. It's a uh, race kind of like, I wouldn't say isn't an issue in Freetown, but the thing about uh, Freetown is everyone is so incredibly diverse. And it's the case for a lot of Louisiana, really, uh, with, especially with Cajun culture or Creole culture. Right. You, can't, you can't really tell who's what. Um, so like everyone is very, very, very diverse. Um, so that's kind of where, what the setting is for, uh, for, for Farmhand. And that's where I'm working from. Is that a way for you to – I'm trying to phrase this, but to either make diversity an issue in the book or not an issue? I don't think it is an issue. But I mean mm-hmm. also – I mean and this is uh, – I mean this is like on Chu. Chu is one – is a really, really diverse book. But it wasn't a thing that we ever set out to do. Um, like it was never – I never had an agenda with Chu where I was just shoving in like, you know, well, there need to be like this many black people in the book or whatever. It was always – I always looked at it and having – I mean I was – I would approach it from two things. First, I would approach it as an, as an artist. Okay, what looks good on the page? I want – I need diversity of shape, diversity of color for this to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, on a personal level, I grew up in a very diverse family. I mean, my my family is everything from like Italian, black, German, Mexican, Native American, like everything is represented in my family. Um, so I just grew up with this. I mean, my dad, my dad, I'm black, but my dad could pass for white. And like people think he's white. He has green eyes and he's very, he's like, he's, he's Cajun, he's Creole. So like I grew up in this. So I'm kind of naturally bringing it to this book. And it's uh, I'm very curious if this is going to be an issue for anyone. But uh, yeah, it's not something I'm really. If it is, it's know. not going to be your fault. Yeah, like it's <laughs> I, I don't know. 
but I'm just I'm just really trying to be true to what I grew up in and what I what I currently live in with my with my kids. My wife is white and our kids are biracial and people are constantly wondering like my kids could pass for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, my daughter looks like Moana. <laughs> I mean, and my 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 oldest son looks like I mean, he could be like Israeli or something. I have no idea. These kids are just so crazy beautiful and intermixed yeah. and uh, I'm kind of bringing that to the book. That's the that's going to be the best future for us all when we're all just a medium brownish, you know, <laughs> no one can tell and then everyone can get past it. Now that's maybe that's not a good solution. I don't know. Absolutely. Um anyway, let's let's move it along back to so you're on these message boards, you are trying to make headway you're trying to get somewhere uh, you know what's the first thing that happens that that sort of feels like you're moving in that direction i had a lot of uh a lot of kind of false starts i mean every every comic yeah. creator has a million i mean i had i did a hundred pages of a creator own thing with uh that was me and a writer and like it'll never see the light of day i mean it's it's really really sad i've written a couple of those yeah yeah it's i spent like three years on this thing and I can't show anything to anyone because the guy's, he's kind of crazy. So I don't want to start any trouble. Um, but yeah, like I guess the first, was it good? uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I I think my, my art style developed on it. So visually I think it's good, Mm -hmm. but it's also one of those things where, you know, we were making this back in, uh, man, this is early two thousands. So like, it was a very different time. Uh, so I think there's some things, some jokes that we made then that would never be accepted today. Sure. <laughs> so I, it's probably for the best. It never gets out there. Understood. Yeah. So, so that was three years. Yes, that was three years of and my this, life. This whole time you're you're doing this on the side. You're working somewhere. You know, you're working on a job. You're you're doing what? Yeah, I mean, I was. I I, I actually started most of this stuff while I was still in college, because um, I I've always kind of been. Uh, I've always wanted to start early on whatever I'm doing just so I, in case I fail, I'll have like a time, uh, time to like, you know, to fix it. Like my worst fear was hitting 30 and never having like accomplished anything. So I was 19 already going to shows, bringing my portfolio around and I was dead serious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point my first big bite came actually via MySpace of all places. Um, cause I mean, this is, this is pre- Facebook pre everything. So this is my MySpace. MySpace was just, was a place to be. And uh, you know, while people were posting, you know, their selfies or whatever, their their like prototypical selfies. Uh, you know, I was using it as a as a portfolio because I didn't have a real website yet. Uh and then one day out of the blue, this guy named C B Sibolsky like hits me on MySpace. And uh he's like, Hey, you know, I love your work. It's got a lot of personality. And uh I'm like, Who the hell is this guy? Like, who is this? And then I Googled him. I was like, oh, shit, he's the talent scout at Marvel Comics. Okay. <laughs> like, like, cool. And uh, from there, like, CB really started the train for me. Like, he, he ended up introducing me to uh, to the then president of Tokyo Pop. So I was actually working for Tokyo Pop for a couple of years after then. Again, none of it ever came out. I actually never got paid for any of it. That's a whole other story. Um, but that actually, the writer I was working with on the Tokyo Pop thing, uh, just so happened to be uh, friends with John Layman. So whenever John came up, you know, was was finally decided to do Chu, uh, he reached out to this mutual friend of ours and they referred me. And that's how John and I hooked up. And was that uh, was that love at first sight? 
Well, it was for me because I literally had qu- I quit my job like a week before. <laughs> so like I my wife and I like I, I was working a night job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been working a night job for about three years uh, in the oil field. Just like uh, I was basically a dispatcher for an oil field company. So like I was, you know, working night shifts. My wife was working during the day. We'd never see each other. And at some point we just decided, OK, this is we were in our first year of marriage uh, and we just decided this sucks. Like I like never see you. So, you know, I, you know, if I, if I'm going to do this comic thing, now is the time for me to risk it. Cause we didn't have kids at the time and she had a good, she had a good job at the time. So we basically, you know, made a five year pact that, you know, I had five years to make this thing happen. And then if it didn't happen, I was going to have to get a real job and we were going to start having kids. Um, I'm just, and- I just thought that's not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at that point I had had, I mean, this was this is 2008. Okay. So at that point, I had been pushing for seven years, and I actually had a pretty decent amount of contacts. Um, and San Diego Comic Con, after this was this was me and her made the pact. Literally, I mean, this was Independence Day, t- 2008. Uh, so like three weeks later was Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just decided, like, well, I know I'm going to Comic Con. I'm just going to go to Comic Con, and like, I'm just going to rush Comic Con and make some work happen somehow. Um, and then the day before Comic-Con, I get an email from John Lehman, who I'd actually met once a year before, though he doesn't m- remember it, of course. Um, but he, he just emailed me. He's like, hey, man, you know, I got your, your number through, through Brandon. And uh, yeah, you know, I got this thing called Shoe. And, I, and he didn't – he no-sold me on it. Like he just – he didn't – I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, yeah, it's, it's a police procedural with aspects of horror and comedy and – it was the most general pitch ever. I was like, I don't know what this is. But I knew I, I loved his work, and I knew I was looking for work, and I knew that this was going to be an image comic. So I was all in from the from the beginning. And did you have an idea about uh, – did you have a fully formed idea about what it was to you? Like, like, did you take time to, have, I guess, find what your style was going to be in it or find sort of how to do it, or did it just start clicking? No, I mean, I actually, uh, in the back of the very first shoe hardcover, uh, in the bonus features, we have the first page I did, the first test page I did for shoe. And it was awful. It was total, <laughs> it was total, total garbage. Cause at this point, John told me that he had been pitching it around to vertigo and, uh, companies like that. So I, I, you know, up to that point, everyone I'd worked with all the publishers I work with, uh, because I'm a very like, uh, very versatile artist, like I can mix it up. So people would say like, you know, could you draw more like, you know, Ben Temple Smith or draw more like Scotty Young or whatever? Like no one wanted me to do me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I was used to that. So I assumed John did not want me to just draw the way I wanted to. Uh, so when I, I, I kind of did a vertigo-ish style for this test page and sent it to him and he hated it completely. And, uh, you know, I asked him, well, what are you, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, you know, he's looking at my website and I have a bunch of stuff of just me screwing around in my free time. Uh, and he's just like, well, can you do that? I was like, well, yeah, that's actually how I draw. It's just that no one's ever actually wanted to pay me for the way I draw. Um, and then, yeah, I just jumped in and did what I wanted to do. And that ended up being the chew style. It's funny because like that's the after school special version of how you're supposed to make art. And yeah. there's a lot of people for whom it does not work out. But like just do yeah. you but nobody wants it to be like me do it and you'll shine and then you did that's nice yeah no it was it ended up working out it couldn't i mean it 
it was there's still if you look at the first few issues there was there's markers for me where I started getting more and more comfortable because in the beginning I still didn't believe he actually wanted me to do me because uh-huh. like you know me I mean when I go all me it can get really goofy did you know who you were at that point well I knew I liked I've always loved like anime and anime can get really silly mm-hmm. and uh, I think when I started really settling in and realizing oh this could I could do whatever I want on this thing was issue three. Um, and issue three is the Amelia Mintz issues where he meets his future, his future wife. And he's like totally in love with her, love at first sight. And there's this one panel where he's like super goofy and uh, he has hearts around his head. And it, this sounds super silly, but up to that point, she had been a relatively serious book. I mean, it was goofy, but I had been it was still police procedural. And I had basically brought in all of a sudden this goofy anime element into it, and it was totally okay. So that was a, that was when I started getting really, really comfortable with it. And uh, you know, f- from there it just got crazier and crazier. So you just started doing. I mean, was it? I'm wondering where in the process you just started to feel completely comfortable to be like, I'm, I'm going to put in what what I want here, and I know it's going to be okay, and I know it's going to appropriate. Was it, was there ever a point where where like where Lehman needed to pull you back or no, no, no. I mean, I think, I think I'm, I have a pretty good gauge of, of, you know, how far is too far. Um, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty tame in most aspects of my life. Sure. So like, I, I mean, I, I, I think when I got really comfortable, it wasn't until after, man, I think probably issue 11 was probably when I started getting really, really comfortable. Um, but there was this really interesting hump that we hit early, early on in the first five issues that I've never really talked about publicly. Mm-hmm. But like we actually, you know, we, I was making, I was making the art, like, like for the first few issues for a full year before the the first issue ever came out, because um, I was only doing it part time. And then it came out, and it did really, really, really well. Uh, and at, right after issue two came out, John and I went to San Diego Comic Con. And it was our very first comic, like Chew Comic Con, and uh, it was freaking crazy. Like we were swamped. All these people were coming over. It was the first time in my life I've had people come over and were just like, you know, like, oh my god, I love your work. Like shaking my hands. Oh nine. Yeah, this is oh nine. This is. I think this is when we met. Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, it would have had to have been because I was full time yeah. on this at that point. So we were going to all the shows at yeah. that point. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it was it was the most surreal thing ever. And then when we got home from San Diego Comic-Con, I think we both freaked out because um, <laughs> it got real at that but point. That's what I was going to ask. Like, at what point were you like, wow, this is a thing? Yeah. So yeah. that would have been then, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't draw for a full week after Comic-Con because um, <laughs> I just got back and I was like, holy crap. This enti- I, like, I was used to making art for myself in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And it became a very different thing when it was, you know, there's all these people reading it. And uh, I, had, I ended up having to... Uh, really like separate myself and end up making this post-it note writing this post-it note that says that the, it, it says there are no fans and i still have it i still have it to this day on my desk um because i can't i just can't think about it <laughs> like it, it just it freaked me out uh thinking about what people would think and it, with farmhand that's that's been amped up even more like i i, I really had to take a step back and forget about people and not care what people think and just make what I want to make. Uh, 
So how have you been able to uh, check yourself with it? Are you are you are you um, do you have an editor on it? Or are you showing it to people? Are you you know just a, or are you just going by by instinct? Uh, I have a I have a handful of guys that I really trust. Like um, Lay, Layman's one of them. Layman was is one of the, pretty much the first guy I came to with it, and just uh, said, "Hey, you know, what do you what do you think about this?" And he was he he thought it was great from the beginning, and he's actually been super super supportive. Um, but yeah, Layman, uh, Cody Chamberlain, who's a comic artist and writer, who's actually doing my my lettering on Farmhand, and he also uh, he also did the logo design for it. Um, David Harper, who uh, amazing comics journalist from a, a site called Sketched, who's uh, just I, I've kind of been picking guys that I really trust who actually have good taste, because mm-hmm. um, I, I I think that's the most important factor here. I need people who are going to tell me, hey, this is uh, this sucks, <laughs> like don't do this, just don't do this. And I mean, that was my thing with Layman from the beginning was you know don't be kind to me on this. Like if this is if this is trash. Please tell me it's trash. But if it's not, you know, tell me that too because I need to – I really – I want to get better at this writing thing. Um, yeah. Let me specify then. Uh, as you are – as you're going through Chew, I'm assuming you're learning a hell of a lot because you're just sort of learning as you're going. What's something that you sort of picked up from either working with Layman or just from publishing that book that so many people started reading instantly that you are, you are still thinking about now as, you, as you're producing your own book? Hmm. Uh, man, I think I really learned, I mean, just in terms of, of kind of skills and attitudes I picked up on shoe, I learned how not to care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I remember when issue one came out of Chew, and it was my first like solo comic, you know, the, 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 this thing where, I, you know, it wasn't a bunch of artists. It was just me and John. And uh, I, I saw it on the stands. And I saw all these imperfections and it freaked me out. And uh, I would look at every issue for the first few issues and just agonize over what I didn't do or what I did do. And at some point, uh, because we were moving so fast and, uh, you know, on a monthly comic, on almost monthly comic, I mean, you're moving quick. Uh, So at some point, I just really learned how to let it go Um, and just get it. You know, I I just kind of let it go. I do my best. And then I decide, you know, I'm gonna, I, I look at it in hindsight and decide, okay, well, I'm not going to do this again. I'll do it better this time. Um, so I think there's – I've stopped caring a bit and I've also like learned to forgive myself a bit more. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me let – me, this is – that's a good answer and it's fine. But I'm, I'm looking – I'm going to keep going because I want to know – like from a storytelling standpoint, what mm-hmm. do you know to do now when you're, you're either constructing a story as a whole or building a page or doing something like what – what do you what do you know now as a veteran when you're mm. sort of actually making your comic book and sort of the, the craft part? I, I think I've gotten a lot more deliberate in terms of how I outline. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I said, I wrote a lot of my own stuff before Chew, but with Farmhand, I've really had to uh, I've kind of had to rediscover, you know, how I want how how I write. Um, so like my process is really kind of fluid. Like I, I really do have my process down on farmhand. Um, the kind of the, like, I mean, in a nutshell, my process is, you know, I'll sit down. It all starts with like a, a like a one sentence kind of blurb about what this issue is going to be. And then from there, I'll kind of sculpt it out. I'll literally sit with a sheet of paper and just, uh, you know, <laughs> my, I, I must look like a lunatic when I write, 
because I just stare off and like I have a, a really nice window on the second floor of my office and uh, I just kind of stare out of it and uh, I will sit there with a sheet of paper and just write down seeing my scene what comes to me mm-hmm. and it actually flows out I have a pretty natural sense of of, of a scene transition and things like that and I just kind of I kind of sculpt it out that way and then from that I'll plug it into Word I'll start working I usually work in uh, Microsoft Word and then from there I'll kind of like script it, uh, like actually detail it with, with dialogue and whatnot. So I don't you know do if that a full script your before you draw it? Oh, yeah, yeah, and a completely full script. And I, I, I actually have a couple of different versions of it. Like I usually, now that we're actually, you know, lettering it and whatnot, um, like basically I do a version, a final version of the script, and then I draw the entire thing. And then after I finished it, uh, finished drawing it, I'll actually go back uh, and tweak the script to basically like, you know, if I see, uh, if I see, you know, this panel's got too much stuff in it for all this dialogue, I'll go back and trim stuff up and basically make a lettering version of the script for Cody who, uh, who does the letters. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question at all. Yeah, no, it works. It's, it's process stuff. I always like process stuff. Um, yeah. and I really like, I like to learn about the lessons that people sort of take from doing their own work and over time. So <clears throat> yeah. That's well, the, it's the part that I think people who are making comics or learning how to make comics or even learning how to understand comics don't really always understand what it is about them that makes them good. And it's been mm-hmm. sort of – that's sort of, sort of my favorite part of everything I've ever done with yeah. iFanboy and everything is sort of learning about that, you know, and knowing, oh, that's why this page is good. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I just like that. So I like to hear what other people have to say about that. <clears throat> well, I'll say, I'll say this. What's been really interesting – is, you know, after eight years of working with John, you know, working with another human being, mm-hmm. it's really interesting how um, I can kind of separate myself. Like, I'll, I'll usually write, you know, at this point, I'm writing my issues well, I mean, months in advance of me actually drawing it. So there's a, there's, there's a, a, a distance there. So whenever I go back, you know, and I pick up a script and I start, I start thumbnailing it, it's really like someone else wrote this. Um, so there is a, there's a real separation there. So I, I actually feel a lot of freedom to go in and change my own stuff as I'm working on it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really weird thing. What do you like to draw and what do you not like to draw? What do I not? Man, I like to draw animals. Um, no one likes yeah. to draw animals. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't like drawing horses. I mean, no, no one, one likes to draw horses. No one likes like, to draw. That's all my go. That's my go-to joke usually. Who, yeah. who wrote all these horses? Well, I mean, I did. Um, I actually did a four-page uh, short story for God Hates uh, Astronauts, mm-hmm. um, and the main character yeah. <laughs> is a floating horsehead guy. And uh, horse heads are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Every other part of the horse is a major pain. Huh? Yeah, it's weird. You know why that is? Hmm. That isn't a me asking because I know the answer. I'm just curious like, what it is. Like, what makes a horse harder than a dog? I don't know. I, I just – I don't like horses. I mean they're just a pain. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I, – I like animals. Like I draw – I like drawing like you know raccoons and furry animals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I actually had a story. I had a, uh, a story of like you know, where all the main characters were, were animals mm-hmm. um, and then Zootopia came out. <laughs> and then like I was online. I was on uh, Twitter or something. And I, I clicked on the Zootopia. I was looking for reviews or something. And I clicked, I, I effed up and like clicked on the Zootopia hashtag. And it was just a bunch of porn. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so like I immediately scrapped my idea. 
Like, completely. <laughs> what did that have to do with the porn? <laughs> Yo, no, it was Utopia porn. I see. I yeah. see. I get, yeah. no, okay, I see. I understand. Yeah. There's certain, certain, some things you can't unsee. Yeah, that's true. And you, and then your your browser knows you were there. It's a whole... It's bad. <laughs> bad stuff. Yeah. Um, let me... I, I, I think we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but let me... I'm, I'm curious, so... Chew is moving. You're in the middle of this thing. Um, eight years is a really long time. Mm. During that time, did you have other opportunities that came up? And and was it ever a question of like maybe I will do something else in the middle of this, or we'll put this on hold, or or, or were you you know on Chew, hell or high water, no matter what? Yeah, I, I, there were things that popped up here and there. Um, I mean, nothing you know earth shattering, but I mean, I think there were a lot of little offers here and there, but I mean, I knew, I knew as a fan, I always hated it when, when artists kind of flaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had so many books that I was, I was just a huge fan of that I was all in on. And then the next thing you know, like the artist craps out after four issues and the new artist just is not nearly as good. And there's just, I still have bitterness as a fan. <laughs> Um, like, you know, you know, battle chasers back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm still like, that's like my, 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 like my Alamo. It's like, it's like, Oh no. It's, <laughs> it's like, why would he do that? And I knew, I, so I knew I didn't want to do that to anyone. Like I, I, I always had this level of gratitude toward the fans for really like supporting this and really making it successful. And I, I, I never wanted to let them down. And I, I knew that I, I knew I was in a very, uh, unique position where this is, you know, my, my very, very first thing and how many people have the opportunity to have a 60 issue run under, under their belt, like from the beginning. Um, so like, no, I, 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 there was never any, there's, I never had any thoughts of leaving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I always wanted to make it as awesome as I could. I always wanted to be this one. If I did nothing else in my career, I wanted this to be uh, as good as it possibly could be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So as you're about to launch sort of a, a new book, a new phase, a, a new thing, how do you see comics? Are you thinking about how comics are different now than they were, you know, in 2008, nine, mm-hmm. as opposed to now? Is that a thing you're thinking about? Or is that a thing that you're like, I'm not going to think about that? I can't think about it because it freaks me out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was in the middle of asking you, you shouldn't ask this. This is too Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't make me think about it. It gives me, gives me panic attacks. Uh, but no, I mean, it's when, when Shoe came out, I can't, I, there was really nothing else going on. Like, it was a quiet yeah. point whenever Shoe came out. Like, I think um, it was, Marvel was in this really dark patch where, like, I think they were coming off of like Secret Invasion and there's like Dark Rain. It was all these really dark. I can't dimensions. believe that wasn't longer ago that you came out. Like yeah. you said the dates and I'm like, that's it? That's all? I mean, it was it was a long time ago. It was a big thing, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's been a long life. <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel like I've aged. I feel like you aged me. Yeah. Like, and you know, then having kids on top of that, like I've definitely aged. Um, but like all this dark stuff was coming out in 2000, 2008, 2009. And then we came out and we were this goofy, silly book. And I think that like was a major key to us shining. But nowadays, like comics are so there's so much stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no idea what to expect with Farmhand. It freaks me out a little bit, even just thinking about it. Um, I'm like it, it's it's a, it's an environment where 
there's so many good books out there that books can fail not because they're not not because they sure. suck. It's just there's only so much money to go around, basically. So like it, it does scare me a little bit, but I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, actually, I think that's a better way to look at it than you know the fact that there are so many books. I think, and it's good that you know you're talking about an artist or a creative team staying on a book for a really long time, and you're at a point now where Marvel and DC are both doing bi-weekly shipping so no artist sticks around for more than four issues before it switches over to the other person which to me feels like such a disservice to art yeah you know and and you know that it's definitely time for for something else interesting and fun but also familiar at the same time so yeah i I really hope it goes well for you um and i'm not blowing smoke up your ass i was happy to be reading it because it was on one hand familiar it it you know it's your art I, I know your art very well at this point i was i've been reading it a long time but it wasn't the same thing and 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 you know that's that's something that i look for i'm like oh it's something something different but but that i can i can hang my head on so um i i wish you a ton of luck with that obviously thank you man yeah it's it that means a lot i mean you're one of the guys that i mean from the very beginning we're always you know we're, we're super supportive of, of of our work on shoe and so yeah you're one of the guys that that, you know, I really hold your opinion in high esteem. <laughs> that's, why was, that's why I was scared to read it. <laughs> but it went, it went fine. Uh, it went good. I was happy to read it. Um, but there is a certain point where I'm like, I don't know. I think it's good. I enjoyed it. Like, but I don't know anymore because I, I, the, work, the work is what it is. It's like when you like a band for a really long time, you're like, oh, this sounds like them. That's great. It makes me happy. But I guess that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really hope. I mean, I, I, I think that the Chew fans are looking for something. Yeah, I bet. And I mean, I mean, that. yeah, I mean, the hope is that, you know, those guys come along and they come along for the ride and we can do the entire story. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm awesome. hopeful. Well, uh, I hope that you're flooded with attention after this and the announcement uh, that will have preceded it by the time I put it out there. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, thanks very much. It was really fun. It was good to catch up. Yeah, man. We'll have to do it again. Cool. And that will do it for iFanboys Talksplode. I want to thank Rob for coming by and chatting with me. And I want to thank the iFanboy patrons for making this show's comeback possible. We've been going strong for a while, thanks largely to that. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash iFanboy. Of course, you can go to iFanboy.com to find uh, this show to comment on and all the other interviews we've done. I think uh, there's a good chunk of other interviews that we've done over the years, and they're always there for you to listen to. And thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>